The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you again on our online services. And it's my great privilege to uh, bring God's word to us this morning as we come to what many believe is Jesus' climactic I am statement. So let me pray and we'll jump straight into our message. Father God, we thank you for technology. We thank you for this opportunity that we can worship and come around your word together in this online format. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would be at work wherever we are in our homes, our bedrooms, out in a park, in our lounge rooms, listening and watching this service. Lord, as we come to your word, will you open our hearts to receive it? Will you open our ears and our eyes to behold the wonder of Jesus as we come around this passage? I pray that you'll help me to faithfully communicate this message, uh, that your name will be glorified in Jesus' name. Well, this last and final I am statement we'll be looking at is just that, I am. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we've been journeying through the Gospel of John and, and looking at Jesus' eight I Am statements. And we've looked at the bread of life, we've looked at the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, uh, we've looked at the way, the truth, and the life. Last week we talked about the vine. Um, and we've come now, as we conclude this series, to this final statement. And I want to suggest to you, if, if you've not watched any of the other ones or listened to them, uh, they're all uh, available on YouTube or in our podcast or on our website. Uh, if it interests you, you can listen to them and so you can kind of hear uh, and be a part of the journey that we've been on together. But this last I am statement comes in John chapter 8, uh, verse 58, which says, Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. And there are other allusions uh, to this same I am statement earlier in John 8, where Jesus says in verse 23 and 24, um, if you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. And then again in 8.28, he says, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. You see, at the, at the, at the very center of all that Jesus is talking about, we'll see as we come to our text, is this idea of, of knowing God, of knowing God. And as we read through our text this morning, uh, you'll notice that theme recurring over and over again. And it's quite a lengthy passage. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John 8, verse 42 to 59 on your devices or whatever you're watching it on, or it'll be on your screen. And we're going to read this passage together. It says this, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know Him, I know Him. But if I said I do not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and obey His word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You see, did you, did you notice that? The, the real center of this debate is about knowing God and how can we know God and what is Jesus' connection to God. And that takes us back very deliberately to Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, where this I am statement comes from. And the Jews of Jesus' day knew exactly that. And they knew that that's what Jesus was claiming, that He was I am of the Old Testament, Yahweh God Himself. In Exodus 3, we see that Moses is dialoguing with God and he's saying to God, well, if I go to the Israelites and, I, and they say to me, who sent you? What am I supposed to say? And this is what God says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. See, it's really about how do we know God? How do we know His identity and the revelation of His name? And Jesus picks up on all of that Old Testament understanding of the name Yahweh, I am, and says that is who He is. Is it any wonder that the religious leaders picked up stones and they want to stone Jesus for blasphemy? So that's kind of where we're going as we journey through this passage. And I want to ask you a couple of questions as we launch into this text for you to begin to consider this central theme. How well do you know God? How well do I know God? Think about that for a moment. How well do you know God? And a second question, how is your life different because you know God? How is your life different because you know God? See, there are some really challenging and confronting truths that come out of this text. And I want to highlight four things around this theme of knowing God that Jesus brings out or this text brings out for us to consider this morning. The first thing is that you can be religious and not know God. Jesus here is interacting, uh, and if we read all the way back to uh, verse 12 of chapter 8, we'll see that this is part of an ongoing discussion He's having with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These people were the religious elite of their community. They were regarded uh, and respected as very godly and religious people. People looked up to them as being the, the truly faithful people. Um, their, their spiritual practice and their piety was well-known and renowned. And yet, uh, as we see... They can claim all kinds of things, but they really don't know God. And they make some quite significant claims. Um, in verse 31, uh, we're told that John says that to the Jews who had believed in Jesus. So they're, they're expressing some kind of faith in Jesus. It might be immature or lacking or deficient, or maybe it's not really genuine faith, but they're certainly 
claiming to, to believe in Jesus. They claim that Abraham was their father. They claim that God was their father in verse 41. They claim that Jesus' father was their God, verse 54. But when we come to verse 54, 55, Jesus makes it clear here that they don't really know God. Though you do not know him, Jesus says, I know him. I know him. This God, he's saying to the Pharisees and the religious leaders that you're claiming to know I want to tell you, you don't really know Him. You might be very religious, you might be very pious, you might do all kinds of spiritual things, you might claim all kinds of ancestry, but you don't really know God. And I think that's a sobering challenge and a warning to us because we can kind of fool ourselves into thinking that we know God when really what we have is religion. And so the question I want to pose to you is, are we religious or do we really know God? Are we religious or do we really know God? You see, we might have embraced Christianity as part of our cultural identity, particularly in the West, in Australia and England and uh, America with the, the Christian heritage that we've had and the Christian formation of identity in our culture. It's easy for us to kind of become Christian because we're living in Christian countries. Or we can claim uh, ancestry of Christianity. We, we can say, well, my grandparents were Christians, my parents are Christians, and uh, you know, I'm a Christian because they were Christians. That's what these religious leaders were doing. Or maybe we, we, we've embraced Christianity because we like the morality or the ethics and the values of being a Christian. Or we might like just being a part of church and church life and we love the singing and we love community and we love people doing kind things and, and we like all the, the cultural aspect of Christianity. And, so we, and we can appear really religious, really devout, really pious because we do all of the religious things and the religious activity, but we don't really know God. And so Jesus is posing this question to us, do we really know God? Or are we more characterized by religion? Or a different way of looking at it is our Christianity, Christianity a, a costume or a uniform? And the difference, Eunice McGarrahan brings it out this way, and she says, a costume is something you put on to pretend that you are what you are wearing. But a uniform, on the other hand, reminds you that you are, in fact, what you wear. And many of us who had to go to school and wear a uniform would know this to be true. I remember our principal on several assemblies reminding us that even when we leave school, as long as we're wearing our uniform, we're homebush boys. And we should behave like that. We should wear our uniform like that because people know and people are watching. The uniform is meant to represent your identity. And so my question is, again, what characterizes our life? And when we examine our lives, do we really know God? That is the first question that Jesus would pose to us. Because it is possible to be really religious and still not know God. So that raises the question, well, how can, we, how can we know if we really know God? How can we know if we have a genuine faith? Well, Jesus gives us three objective tests to know if we really know God. Three objective tests in this passage. And hold on, just stick with me. I know the moment I mentioned test, you're thinking, oh my goodness, does that mean I pass? Does that mean I fail? You might have traumatic experience of Sunday school and Bible trivia and not knowing the answers and all kinds of things. Well, the good news is it's not like the HSC. It's not a test of how much you know intellectually or academically, because if that was what Jesus was giving here, then these religious leaders would have passed with flying colors because they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Torah. They knew the law. They knew the covenants. They knew everything intellectually. 
So much so that Jesus could say to them, you know, these people, they express praise and worship with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. See, they knew all about the sacrificial system and all the things that God expected. They could pass an intellectual, academic, rational test with flying colors. But that's not the kind of test Jesus has for us or for them. The kind of test that Jesus is presenting here is more like our driving test. When we go and an examiner sits there with us and they're going through a checklist to determine if we have competency, if we can demonstrate the knowledge of driving that we are supposedly professing. That's the kind of Jesus, the tests that Jesus gives us. Three objective things where we can assess our competency to demonstrate that we actually know God. Not just intellectually, but we know Him experientially. The first one is this, and we see this over and over again in this passage, uh, that Jesus talks about remaining in His Word. And we've seen throughout the Gospel of John, throughout our I Am series, the centrality of Jesus talking about hearing and obeying His Word. Throughout the New Testament, over and over again, Jesus clearly states the importance of us abiding, remaining in His Word. Last week, Anuj shared about that from John 15, how important it is to abide in Him and allow His Word to abide in us. And these references throughout this section show us that Jesus keeps coming back and back and back to the centrality of that theme, that a proof of us knowing God is that we remain in Jesus' Word. Remain in Jesus' Word. So my question for us And my challenge to us is, well, how can we remain in Jesus' Word? How can we obey Jesus' Word if we don't know it, if we're not in it, if we're not regularly reading it and meditating on it and reflecting on it and and bringing it into our hearts and our minds? How can we do that? How can we produce the fruit of righteousness if we're not planting the seed of God's Word? And I know reading the Bible and reading generally might be a real challenge and a difficulty for us, but we're living in a day and an age where you can get the Word of God into your heart and your mind so many different ways. And I encourage you, find a way that works for you, but don't neglect the Word of God. Because Jesus says that one of the competencies, one of the competency tests of you really knowing God is whether you remain in His Word, whether you Uh, hearing and trusting and obeying His Word. The second proof, the second test is about behavior. Um, And throughout this passage, Jesus is contrasting the behavior that flows from the different fathers. And He says it's not enough to profess faith. It's not enough to make claims that you're spiritual and that you know God if your behavior doesn't back it up, if your behavior doesn't demonstrate that. And so the second test He gives us is to see if we're following in Jesus' footsteps. And again, Jesus is saying, look, if Abraham was your father, then you'd behave like Abraham. If God was your father, then you'd act like God. See, James says it's not enough for us to just profess that we believe in God. He said the demons do that, and that's great, but we need to demonstrate or give evidence of the truth of that statement, that we know God by our works, by our actions. And I wonder if this is what has been going on in in human history and it's going on in our world even right now. I wonder if this is what is uh, to blame, I guess, or this is what was responsible for the atrocities committed in church history with the Crusades and and a whole bunch of other things that we are embarrassed and ashamed of because those things were perpetrated, the violence was perpetrated in the name of God, in the name of the church, in the name of Christianity. 
And even today in our world, we see that many religious groups uh, claim that they know God, whether it's Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam, but they all behave in ways that are not like God would behave. And even in the church, even today in America and even parts of Australia and other parts of the world, we're seeing these people who profess to be Christians, who profess and claim to know God, but their behavior is characterized like some of the things that Jesus is talking about here. Hatred, injustice, violence, racism, abuse. Jesus would say, you don't know God because your behavior is not like God. It's not God-like. It's not Godly. Because Godly behavior would be characterized by doing the works of God, by listening to the words of Jesus, as He says here. But as we look broader in the New Testament, it's about being merciful and compassionate. It's speaking the truth with love. It's forgiving. It's showing kindness. It's loving your enemy. It's, it's going the second mile. It's doing things that God would do in, in the world. And so I want to challenge you as you look at your own life and as you evaluate your own behavior, does it look like God? Does it look godly? Or are you professing to know God when your actions suggest that maybe you don't really know God? That's the second test. The third test that Jesus gives is a love for Him. And in verse 20, 42, he, he says that plainly. Jesus said to them, if God were your father or if you knew God, then you would love me. You would love me. And in the context of John 8, loving Jesus looks like having a place in our heart for His Word, receiving His Word, trusting His Word, believing in Him is what it looks like. But again, as we go beyond John 8 and we consider the whole of the New Testament, loving Jesus looks like walking with Him, looks like having a relationship with Him, looks like talking with Him and listening to Him, to, to have our hearts delighting in Him. It, it looks like delighting in, in gathering together with God's people and, and doing acts of kindness in the name of Jesus, serving each other in the name of Jesus. It looks like all of those things. And Jesus says, when you, when you measure yourself by that test, do you, do you love me? Do you love me? And it's not just doing supernatural activity because in Matthew 7 Jesus says you can do spectacular amazing miracles but he says but I don't know you I don't know you and that speaks of a relational intimate personal knowledge of Jesus of loving him of delighting him spending time in his presence of including him in your day in your decisions in your plans in your priorities it's making Jesus the central gravitational center of your life that's what loving Jesus looks like to not have any other idols, to not have any other gods, but to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. How did you go? How did you go ticking off those competencies? Well, Jesus says, those are the things that we should be reflecting on if we really want to see if we know God or if we've drifted and fallen into the trap of religion. The third thing that Jesus does here is He reveals God in His fullness. He reveals God in His fullness. Just like the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders who cited all their credentials and all their claims, Jesus does the same thing here. Look at all the things that Jesus says. Jesus says He has come from God, verse 42. He honors His Father, verse 49. He is glorified by the Father, verse 54. He knows the Father, verse 55. He obeys His Father, verse 55. See, for the, for the Jews here, for the, for the religious leaders here, to them, Jesus was nothing but a cheap knockoff. And I love these ones. Naya instead of Nike, Sunbucks instead of Starbucks, 
KLC and Adiads. To the Jewish leaders, that's all Jesus was, that He was a human who was claiming to be I Am, who was claiming to be God. And they're saying, no, we don't accept that. We don't receive that. We don't believe that. You're a cheap knockoff. And that's why they pick up stones and they want to throw at Him and kill Him for blasphemy. But Jesus makes it clear here that He is the exact representation of God. He is the fullness of God in bodily form. And uh, instead of being a knockoff, what Jesus is saying is that He's like a precious, brilliant diamond that reflects the glory of God in its multifaceted beauty, that every time you turn it and you move in different direction, it radiates a different aspect of God's character and heart. That's who Jesus comes to us as, this fullness of God in flesh. And... Uh, Throughout the Bible, uh, we see uh, throughout John's gospel in these I am statements, this is what Jesus is trying to get us to see. And this is what the Jews could not accept or receive, that to see, hear, and know Jesus is to see, hear, and know the Father. The identity of the Father and the Son, the complete authority that Jesus has, which is the authority of the Father, the glory of Jesus that was going to be revealed in the cross is the glory of the Father. He was one with the Father, one with the Father. And so, in this point, I want to do something that I hope will really encourage and bless you as we consider how Jesus reveals the fullness of God. And in the Old Testament, God, Yahweh, fleshes out this I am statement, this Yahweh statement, nine different times with different other key ideas and words to kind of fill out or complete this revelation of who He was and His character and His ministry to, to His people. Um, these different uh, labels, kind of like the I Am series, but the Old Testament equivalent, if you like. Um, and I want to look at each of these, and I want to show you how Jesus fulfills all of these in His death, in His resurrection, in His ascension, in His enthronement. Jesus is the, the fullness of Yahweh God of the Old Testament revealed to us in the New. Now, I'm going to go through this quite quickly, but the advantage of having this on video is you can pause it, you can freeze me, and you can take down notes if you want, or you can certainly come back and watch it. But I want to move through this quite quickly. All right, here we go. The first one, in Genesis 20, 22, 14, Yahweh is Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh Jireh, our provider. And as our provider, Jesus on the cross, He, he fulfills all of the promises of God to meet our greatest need, our spiritual need, our alienation from God. And when He dies on the cross, He provides salvation for us. And as our King, He continues to provide for us as His subjects. He cares for us and He, he, he gives us all that we need, so much so that He can say, don't worry, your Father knows and I know what you need and I will provide for you as your provider because the cross is the guarantee that I will continue to give you all that you need as your provider. In Exodus 15, 26, Yahweh is Rophi, our healer. And on the cross, Jesus heals our brokenness. Uh, he brings our dead spirit alive, Ephesians 2 tells us. Jesus as our healer, because of the stripes that He bore, brings healing to our bodies. Jesus heals our spirit, our soul, our body, our mind. Every part of us finds wholeness in Jesus, our healer. In Exodus 17, 15, Yahweh is Yahweh Nisi, our banner. And this speaks of um, a battle scenario uh, and, and that God is the banner of victory. And at the cross, one of the ways of looking at it, theologians tell us, is as the victory of Christ, where Jesus triumphs over sin and Satan and death and He conquers. When He utters the final cry, it is finished. That was a battle cry of victory. 
and His resurrection is the validation of that victory, that Jesus is our banner that has triumphed. And as our heavenly advocate, He continues to, to fight against the accuser who wants to accuse us before God, and He defends us as our banner. In Leviticus 28, Yahweh Machadesh, He is our sanctification. And as the high priest, Jesus sanctifies us. He offers, us, offers up Himself as our sacrifice to purify us and cleanse us. And in 1 John 1, 9, the promise is that if we confess our sins, He will continue to purify us and cleanse us. And in Hebrews 10, we're told that He has made us holy and will continue to make us holy as our sanctification. In Judges 6.24, Yahweh is shalom. Yahweh is our peace. And Jesus brings peace. In Romans 5, in Ephesians 2, we're told that Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. We were enemies with God, but now because of Jesus, because of His death and His resurrection, and His work on the cross, we are reconciled to the Father and he has, made, we have, he has made peace between God and us. And we can have peace with God because of Jesus, our peace. And much more than that, Jesus is the, is the wave-walking, storm-calming hero, the, the conqueror who gives us His peace in the midst of our storms, who says, you know, yes, in this world you'll have trouble, but I have overcome the world and I give you my peace, the peace that passes all understanding, that no matter what you go through, you will know my peace. Jesus is our peace. In Psalm 23, 1, and we've talked a, a lot about this, Yahweh Rohi, Jesus, our good shepherd, who lays down his life for us and who will continue to lead and care and intimately look after us as his sheep throughout all eternity as our good shepherd. In, uh, in, in Psalm 46, 7, Yahweh Shabbat, the Lord of hosts, Jesus is our champion. At the cross, Jesus triumphed not just over Satan and sin and death, but over every principality and power. Every demon in hell bowed the knee to Jesus. And one day in the future, they will ultimately and finally bow to Jesus because Jesus is our champion. And we're told in Ephesians 1 that now He's seated at the right hand of the Father above every principality and power. And as our champion, we are seated with Him and we have the assurance that He continues to fight for us. And then one day He will come leading the armies of heaven as the king of kings and the lord of lords as the champion of heaven's armies to overthrow evil to overthrow satan and all of his demonic hordes to ultimately usher in his kingdom of righteousness and peace and justice and truth and liberty and light he is our champion in jeremiah 23 6 yahweh sit canoe jesus is our righteousness he is the lamb of god the perfect sinless lamb of god who came and took upon himself our sin the bible says that he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god and jesus continues his work of purifying and, and cleansing and making us holy and he takes away our sin stained filthy, dirty garments, and He clothes us with His robes of righteousness so that we don't have to be afraid when we stand before God's judgment seat, when we stand to give an account, because we are clothed in Jesus' righteousness. There is no fear of punishment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we've been robed with His righteousness. Lastly, Ezekiel 48, 35, Yahweh Shammah. The Lord is there. 
Jesus is our Emmanuel. In John 1, we're told that He became flesh and He dwelt among us. He tabernacled Himself and He walked among us. He lived with us, born as a baby in a manger so that He could be like us in every way, the Bible says in Hebrews. He identifies fully with us so that He can be our faithful high priest who understands, who, who knows us, and who offers us grace and mercy in our time of need. But much more than that, who has promised to never leave us or forsake us, to promise that He will come back and He will receive us to Himself so that we will be with Him forever. He is forever our Emmanuel, Jesus, our Emmanuel. So as you can see, Jesus is not a cheap knockoff. Jesus is a finely polished, radiant, beautiful, magnificent diamond that shows us the fullness of God. And so we can know Jesus and we can know God because Jesus is God and is one with the Father in every way. So the last thing I want to show you is that naturally flows out of this is that Jesus invites us to know God through Him. Jesus invites us to know God through Him. And maybe you're watching this morning and you don't really know God. Maybe you've been really religious, uh, with the, you've been from a different faith, or maybe even you've been a part of Christianity, or maybe you've gone to church since you were a little child in Sunday school, or whatever it might be. You, you, you're religious, but you don't really know God. Well, Jesus invites you to come to a knowledge of God through Him. And in John chapter 8, He makes this statement that, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. See, that's you and me. That's all of us. Without God, the Bible says we're alienated. We're separated. We're not sons. We're not in God's family. Jesus goes on to say that a slave has no permanent place in the family. We're not part of God's family. We're, we're outcasts. We're alienated. And if, if we continue in that state, the Bible said that we will forever be separated from God in a place called hell, which was created for Satan and for his angels and his demons. But we don't have to go there because Jesus goes on to say, but He as the Son has come, the perfect Son of the Father, and He became a slave for us. He became human. He became a slave for us. As I've mentioned in the last point, that He took upon Himself our sin and He paid the penalty that was due us. He bore the judgment and the wrath of God upon Himself so that He could offer us freedom, which is what Jesus says. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And Jesus invites you, He invites us to not be like these religious leaders who didn't hear Jesus, who couldn't receive Jesus' words because they didn't belong to God. And He's offering this invitation for you, for me, to put our trust in Jesus, to believe in Him as God's Son, as God's Savior, who died on the cross and rose again to prove the validity of His claim. Will you put your trust in Him? Will you consider inviting Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior. And if that is your desire, I encourage you at the end of this service, please reach out to us. Please connect with us. All the information on how to do that will be on your screen. Or you might consider doing our online alpha course. We'd love for you to do that. Or just get in touch with us and we would love to sit with you and talk with you and pray with you and give you some more information that will help you understand who Jesus is and how you can be saved and become part of God's family and not be a slave to sin anymore, but to know God's forgiveness and to know what Jesus promises here, that you can be part of the family of God through Him, through Him, and know this life that He came to give that not even death can take away, as it says in verse 51. And for those of us who are Christians, who've come to know and follow Jesus, I want to encourage us that this truth is still the same. 
that we know God through Jesus, not in our own efforts, not in going to church, not in being really religious, but we know God through Jesus. The way we began is the way we continue. And like me, if you, at the end of that second point, as you looked at your test results, you felt disappointed. You felt that, yeah, maybe I don't get into the Word as much as I, I, I want to and I'd like to. Maybe my behavior is not so godly as I'd like it to be. Maybe I don't love Jesus wholeheartedly. And, and maybe that's how you're feeling. Uh, and I want to encourage you, please don't be condemned. Please don't be discouraged. And please don't walk away thinking, I've got to just try harder. I've got to do better. No, Jesus says it's only through Him. It's only through Him. We are powerless to do this on our own, as is demonstrated in this passage. We're powerless. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot know God on our own. And that's why Jesus goes on to say that He gave us the Holy Spirit so that He would do the work of Jesus in our hearts. He would continue the work that Jesus began. He would continue to convict us of our sin so that we would not be slaves to sin any longer. He would continue to remind us of the things that Jesus said so that we can be in His Word, we can remain in His Word. He would continue to empower us and sanctify us and change us from within and transform us to the image of Jesus. That is His role and that is His ministry. Friend, I want to say to you that knowing God through Jesus is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only through Jesus. So rather than feeling condemned, rather than feeling discouraged, rather than feeling, woe is me, I might as well give up because I don't really know God the way I ought to. I hope that you're encouraged to realize it's not about you. It's not, a, it's not up to you. Yes, you need to surrender to the Holy Spirit. Yes, you need to invite Him into that place. Yes, you need to maybe be disciplined and set some um, uh, regular uh, patterns and rhythms in your life to be in God's Word and to, and to be in prayer with God. But again, I pray that you would know the empowering of the Holy Spirit for you to be able to do that. And so I, I want to leave you with that thought as we conclude this series. Be in the Holy Spirit. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Receive the fullness of life that Jesus came to give in and through the Holy Spirit. It's available to you. It's available to me. And we can continue to grow in our knowledge of God so that our world, when they look at us, can see the evidence that God is our Father and that it won't be an empty claim. It won't be just something that we say and we profess when our behavior and our life doesn't match it. That we would be people, that when people look at us, your friends, your family, your co-workers, they will say, you know God, because I see the works of God in your life. Wouldn't that be amazing for you, for me, for our church, as Christians, that our world will recognize that we know God because we reflect Him in our actions, in our words, in our attitudes, in our behavior. We look like our Father. That's what Jesus wants for us. That's what, as a church, we long for and we pray for. Come, Lord Jesus, and change us to be more like you. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes, and let's just take a moment to reflect, and then I'll pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you've saved us. We thank you, Lord, that you revealed Jesus to us through your Holy Spirit and we've been born again by your Spirit. It's not something we did. It's purely and solely by your grace. And we're so thankful for that. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus and all that he did to bring us to you, to reveal you to us. We don't have to try and figure you out or you're not a mystery that 
or a puzzle that we have to work out, but we see the fullness of your character and your heart and your love reflected in Jesus, embodied in Him. We thank you for the Holy Spirit and His ongoing ministry and work in our hearts. And we, in this moment, we open our hearts. We surrender to being filled with Him more and more. We, we want to be more like You, Lord. We want to know You more. We want to be in Your Word. We want to be transformed by that Word and we want to reflect You to our world that desperately needs to see God in us. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be the people that You're calling us to be, to be Your children that will bring You glory and honor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.